you, you walk in, we, we manage a physical space. So we have co-working space where kids could just get access to the internet and tools and, um, and free food and, you know, hardware and, uh, safe space. But then we also offer education. And so there's training and, and programs and we have a partnership with the school district and the community college. So lots of different pieces of the model. And then we have, a. uh, a thing called business where you can hire digital nest youth to come do work for client like for do work so we we do web design graphic design and videography for paid clients and so jacob meet everyone everyone meet jacob hey everybody i'm jacob martinez i'm father and husband and community organizer um, and i'm the founder and executive director of a nonprofit on the west coast in the towns of Watsonville and Salinas. It's called the Digital Nest. Why am I so excited to introduce you to Jacob Martinez and Digital Nest? Jacob and I go back a little way. I first heard about Jacob years ago when my own work at Mouse started to explore the transition that students face between 12th grade and whatever comes next. I've always seen the work at Digital Nest as an exemplar for others all over the country working on pathways for young people that support them in pursuing happy, healthy, productive lives. This issue has become even more central to my work recently. I got a new gig. Some may have heard of NAF, which is an acronym for the National Academy Foundation. It's an institution that's been focused for decades on learner readiness, and in a nutshell, working to support ecosystems at the school level that ensure the widest possible access to a learning model that works to close the gaping chasm between school and a productive life that hopefully follows. I hope you'll follow them on Twitter. NAF Career Academies is the search you want to do. And go check out NAF.org. Enough about me. The reason I mention my new post in addition to this being a time of transition for all of us, whether back to school, back from holiday, back from the future, whatever, is that the theme of readiness, of supportive pathways that help young people deal critically and creatively with reality and discover how to participate in the transformation of their world. That's not me, that's Paulo Freire. will continue to be central to the conversations on this show. I can't think of a better way to kick off the next phase of whatever transition you find yourself moving through than my conversation with Jacob. Enjoy. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. Awesome. All right. Jacob, thanks for joining. I'm. Uh, this has been a long time coming. I've been wanting to have you on No Such Thing for uh, for a while, and finally schedules worked out, so thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'm really excited to be here and talking with you. So um, the place I wanted to start is actually with with you and um, to talk a little bit about uh, where you started on your journey. Your work right now is so focused on uh, pathways for young people. And I think it's always just interesting to hear where uh, practitioners, community organizers, folks who are focused on those transitions for young people. Uh, tell me about your journey and um you know, and I think it's of interest to, to folks to know sort of how you ended up in, in this spot. Yeah. So, um, um, this, uh, Latino guy growing up in Los Angeles. Um, so I spent a lot of years in LA, um, went to my, you know, middle school years there. And then right before my freshman year of high school, my parents 
broke the news that we were moving to Dallas, Fort Worth. No. So he, yeah, here's this LA guy, you know, just all of a sudden being told about to go to high school and uh, my parents moved us to Texas. And, um, you know, we were fortunate in LA that my parents had a home. And so when we went to go buy a home in Texas, the, the, the property you could get in Texas is, you know, massive. Crazy. So my, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, right? So my parents bought this beautiful home and they were so proud of what they did for us. And, and here we are, um, not knowing really the community that we moved into, but it turns out the community was a really affluent, uh, predominantly white community. Um, in my graduating class of about 300, I was one of maybe 10 Latinos and there was one Filipino and mm. that was the diversity, you know? Yep. Um, but I really, I think for me, like the work that I've, I've been doing since, um, and is really grounded in that experience. And, and that is, I, you know, I grew up in LA surrounded by Latinos and, and Filipinos and people of color and all of a sudden thrown into a community that had no diversity. Um, I'm a really wealthy and a really wealthy community. It just like, you know, uh, just blew me away. Like that school had carpeted hallways. Uh, the kids all had SAT prep classes. There was mm-hmm. all kinds of um, AP classes being offered and students going on these amazing experiences to universe, like to visit college campuses and just vastly different than what I was used to growing up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just saw like, I saw these young kids just, uh, privileged and walking around very confident and they all kind of knew they were going off to really good schools and they kind of just expected that and the teachers expected that of them. And it was just like this, just seeing these kids walk around with this confidence and like really standing up straight just blew me away, you know? And, um, I survived there till I was age of 19 and then I just couldn't do it anymore. I moved back to uh, California, moved back to the Bay area, San Francisco, Mm. um, and then thrown back into a community of color and where you see the opposite. You see people struggling, you see people, trying to make ends meet, people trying to get an education, but the quality of education is not very good. Uh, I went to the community college and it's the kids walking around with, you know, low, they're, you know, like not as confident. Um, kind of led me on this path after, after I transferred to UC Santa Cruz. And I started, uh, started working for this program that uh, uh, was working with trying to get more underrepresented youth in the sciences. And I just like found my calling of, of counseling students and, trying to encourage students and trying to open up opportunities to them. Yeah. That was kind of like the beginning of my like community organizing, doing youth uh, work with youth. And that was at, at the university. Yeah. What, what made you um, decide to do a two year school before UC Santa Cruz? The community college. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I moved from Texas to, and, and uh, I, I did one year of college out in Texas and I, didn't do very well. And so when I transferred, uh, I went to community college there. I just, um, I was 19 years old and just, it was trying to get my paths, you know, and trying to get, get on a path of, uh, and I just, uh, I found community college as a space where there were a lot of educators that were really passionate about working with students, mm-hmm. um, really hands-on, really accessible, um, we were talking where I found myself in a lot of conversations and classes around conversations around class and race and, uh, you know, just completely different than I've ever experienced. And, um, uh, 
So I think that was just an amazing experience to be in a community college. And for the first time in my life, I was doing well in school. I want to I want to come back to that at some mm-hmm. point because I'm I'm curious about um, how you feel about the the community college experience and and what role you think that plays in the future of a lot of the young people that you serve um, their lives. Um, but so now take us back to the let's talk about the origin story for the first digital nest because now we've we've grown right but, but uh, yeah. there are multiple nests. Um, yeah. And take me back to that origin story and, and what was the, um, where did the idea start and, and, um, what were you, what were you looking to achieve when you got going? Yeah. So, um, prior to digital nest, you know, I was, I was working at the university and then I landed a job with ETR associates and working with this amazing woman, Jill Denner. Uh, doing, uh, she she got some, she got a National Science Foundation grant to do work with uh, middle school Latina girls mm-hmm. or Latina, um, and so we were working with forty middle school girls to uh, inspire them and encourage them to pursue computer science. Um, and that that first grant led to another NSF grant, led to another NSF grant. So I was with them, with them for eight years and doing really good work and uh, having a really big impact on the community of Watsonville. Mm. And Watsonville is a farm worker community in the central coast of California. So very low income, predominantly Latino uh, farm workers. Uh, so we were doing a lot of good work there. And, um, and you know, um, I saw for, a lot of things. For anyone saw, who, who doesn't uh, know the, uh, the acronym, NSF is the National Science Foundation. Just to, to clarify that, I try to just make sure that the acronyms are all <laughs> above, yeah, above board. And, yeah, definitely. Funny thing, NEST is an acronym for Nurturing Entrepreneurial Skills with Technology. Nice. But, but people just call it the NEST. Or right. NEST so. Yeah, of course. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so I was uh, doing that work, doing really good work. And um, uh, one day I was, uh, well, I was, I was always kind of like, you know, we're, we're, Watsonville is about an hour and a half south of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So we were fortunate that we were taking kids on field trips to Google and Facebook and Apple and Microsoft, you name it. I've taken kids there. And uh, I was taking these kids to these, this environment, which was if, if for people who have never been to a tech campus, like you walk into these, onto these spaces and there's this energy, man. And there's just free food and snacks and cool furniture and cool <laughs> lights and cool spaces to work. And people walking around with their dogs and in their pajamas. It's just like a man, like just an amazing place to work. Right. And so I was taking all these kids, these farm worker kids on these trips, and they were so excited to like be on these campuses. And, and then, um, you know, we'd come home on the bus and coming back to Watsonville and all the kids were saying they want to go work there one day. And then we bring them back into the computer labs in their schools. And it was rows of desktop machines mm. with big clunky headsets with these bulky desktops and each kid assigned to a seat and, you know, teachers and, People were telling them to go in there and sit down and do these math and reading intervention programs. And when the bell rings, get out because the mm. next class is coming in. You know, yep. just so like those our spaces in schools were um, complete opposite of what Silicon Valley was doing, right? And so for years that's bothered me. Um, and then so I was, I was doing that work uh, uh, for eight years, and one day in o- October of 2013. I was walking in downtown Watsonville uh, uh, in October, and it was a cold, kind of foggy, typical 
fall in on the central coast, the fog would roll in. It gets really chilly. Um, and I was walking at the farmer's market downtown, and I saw a young woman sitting outside of a building uh, with a laptop on her lap and typing away. And I could tell she was cold and cause she had a little sweater on. Mm. And so being that I was in education and tech, I went up to her and I was like, hey, I'm just kind of curious. What are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm, at, I'm in community college and I'm, uh, I'm doing research for a paper, an English paper. I said, what are you doing sitting here? And she said, uh, well, I don't have any internet at home. Uh, I can't afford to go to Starbucks. Uh, the library was closed. So she was sitting outside of this building, tapping into their Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and, an open, and an open network. She had the password for it. And that just blew me away, man. I, I went home that night um, talking to my wife, almost almost in tears, just like, oh, my, I've been doing all this work for all this, all these years and bringing all this National Science Foundation money into this community. And, and nothing's changed. Like, here are still young, brilliant people who can't get access to to the internet, you know, and it's a basic, just basic, you know, tech, you know, and, uh, that night I kind of told my wife, you know, we need to do something and, uh, I'm kind of frustrated and, uh, we need to make something happen. Mm. That was kind of like the beginning of the idea of trying to do something like the digital nest. It's such a good story. And, um, you know, I'm I'm sure. Uh, you know, it's it's one that's so it's everywhere, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so you go home. We got to do something. Tell me about um, what did it what did it take to bring some people around this idea and to to make it make some practical headway. Yeah, so um, so it's like it's needed everywhere, right? Like I think what what I was reflecting with my wife that evening, and you know, since then is there's all these brilliant kids in these communities that are often forgotten, mm. right? So when we talk about workforce development, we talk about talent pipelines. We're talking about you know we're future workforce most of those conversations usually centralize around an urban center. Yeah. So we're talking about how do we get more kids in the Bay area? How do we get kids in LA, Atlanta, you know, DC, New York, you know, like these concentrations of youth, you know, or we talk about how do we get con- kids connected from Berkeley and Harvard and MIT and, you know, yeah. HBCUs. How do we get these kids tapped into the workforce? You know, we don't talk about what about those people in towns like Modesto? Mm. What about those people, those kids in rural West Virginia and Southern Iowa, and, you know, just in these smaller towns where, where there's talent that's going untapped, you know? And so I, you know, I, so this is like, was the focus from the very beginning. You know, I saw lots of kids in Watsonville, tons of talent, brilliant young people, and just kind of that talent going untapped. Um, and so after I had that encounter with that, um, with that young woman sitting outside the building, I went to a friend of mine who was a, a founder of a co-working space. Hmm. And so this is back in 2013 co-working spaces, like really just bar- popping up and mm-hmm. all over the place. Yep. Right? And I was sitting down with him. His name was Jeremy Neuner. Um, he's now at Google. Um, and I was sitting with him and I was like, man, Jeremy, like I ran into this girl and, you know, this poor thing just like sitting outside in the cold. And 
man, wouldn't it have been cool if there was a co-working space for youth and a place for her to go? And we started talking and I was like, yeah, and it'd be free. You know, we wouldn't charge them and we bring all the technology in, but we'd offer the same cool hip environment and we'd give free food and just like Silicon Valley. And, but we layer on training and education to try to get them jobs. And, you know, at the end of that cup of coffee, he said, take it, man, this is a good idea. Um, and so, uh, he's like, you should do it. And, uh, he's like, I know this guy and we both knew this guy, um, Bud Colligan, who's a venture capitalist. Mm. Um, he was a former CEO of Macromedia. Okay. And lived in our region. And I went, he's like, you know who would love this idea is Bud. And I went to Bud and we, we talked and he, uh, at the end of the conversation, he's like, Jacob, I love this idea. Get me a business plan. And, uh, I wrote a business plan and, um, I've never read a business plan in my life. And I, you know, I was writing it while my wife was editing it. Um, in December of 2013, I emailed it to him and in January, 2014, we got together and we reviewed it and he's like, Jacob, I love this idea. Um, this is what we're going to do. My wife and I are going to contribute, uh, uh, a matching grant. Um, we want to see you raise $200,000. And if you could do that, my wife and I will come in with a large donation. And can you raise that money in six months? And so at that point, I emailed all my friends and colleagues and family and said, hey, I got this matching donation opportunity. I want to start this. I have this vision for creating a space for young people and to really prepare them for workforce and work in all these forgotten communities across this country and and." the community rallied up. And so I started having donations coming in from Texas and Florida and Bay area and foundations. And I raised about $200,000 in, in three months, Incredible. It was actually about close, close to 300,000 in three months. And, uh, and we opened the first digital nest in November of 2014. So just about a year one after I had that, I ran into that young woman sitting outside the building in the cold. Yeah. You have, you have three kids. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're members one, two, and three. <laughs> you have three kids, and, and you mentioned, you know, you're writing this business plan. Your wife is editing the business plan. I'm just curious what, what uh, I mean, this is, a, this, is a, this is a whole family investment, right, to do <laughs> yeah. something like this. And, and so what was that like? Like, you know, you got, it must have run through your head uh, every 10 minutes that like, am I nuts doing this instead of, <laughs> you know, like taking a job that's steady? Yeah. You know, like, and I had, you know, I was a director of a, of a pretty big initiative at the Southern nonprofit and good job and, you know, good career path. And, and, you know, when I, when I started like thinking really like thinking through the digital nest and what it could be, I knew it could be something big. Mm. And, and I knew this thing, you know, I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of research. I've seen a lot of programs. I've seen a lot of things not work. And, um, and I was like, I think this could really take off. Like, I think this could be the 21st century boys and girls club. I think this mm -hmm. could be, you know, the future of like having one of these in every community across this country. And so when I started that on that path, like, I, I still remember my wife and I, my boys, I have two older boys and a girl, um, my boys must, they were, let me see, they were uh, 10 and 11. And I remember sitting them down in the room and, and in their bed and my wife and I were there and it's like, hey, daddy's gonna, gonna do something and daddy's gonna work a lot and it's gonna be something pretty amazing and gonna help a lot of kids. But 
and dad's going to be working a lot. I'm going to be traveling and you know, putting long hours in early mornings. And I said, but this is, I'm going to create something that every day after school, you guys could come to, you guys could come to dad's work, hmm. you know? And I think that's what made it okay for me, me and my wife to do this. Like I do work crazy hours. I do work a lot, but every day my boys after school come to dad's work hmm. and like I never had that opportunity, go to work, go to work with dad, you know. And so, um, today they're in summer school, and uh, you know, they'll, after school they'll come over here. And when I go downstairs, they'll be in, they'll be downstairs. You that's know? amazing. So it's pretty cool, you know. And so I think that's what allowed me to make uh, it work. Make it work. Yeah, that's incredible. Do you guys yeah. think? I, I would imagine that it it's easy to have it escape the two of you um, as parents, what an important thing you're doing for your kids that you're modeling uh, service Mm -hmm. in everything that you do. One day they're going to look back and realize, you know, my dad wasn't building this thing for us. You know, he was building it for communities. Um, That's a really powerful model. Yeah. You know, like my, 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 my kids have painted these walls, you know, they, they, when we had to paint the centers, they, they were in here with paintbrushes, they were building it, you know, they were, um, one of my sons the other day was here and these people came in for a tour and he gave the tour, you know, and just the other night, my wife and I were laughing because he sounded like me, you know, like the way he was talking about the nest. Was That's kinda, crazy. It's pretty cool, you know? And so, yeah, I think, I think my, my, my three kids, my, my, my daughter, my youngest says she wants to be the boss of the nest one day. So <laughs> maybe she'll take over for me, you know, right. um, my two older boys, I think, um, they're not so interested in joining the family business. They want to do other things. One yeah. wants to be a, sh- a pastry chef and the other wants to be a doctor. And, of course. But I think that whatever they go do, they're going to, they're going to get back and they're going to get to their community and they're going to help people out. Yeah. Feel like, uh, man, there's, there's, uh, well, I'm, I'm biased as uh, we have a lot in common. I have three kids of my own, and and uh, they are not so far off in ages, and and so, um, and we happen to work in the same same line of work. So, <laughs> so yeah. of course, I'm gonna say there's nothing more important. Uh, but I really do believe there's nothing more important. You know that we. Uh, we could fail in a lot of other things as parents, but, um, if we can succeed in helping our kids, uh, think about, um, their role in the world as being participatory and being, um, and understanding that, uh, things don't improve as a result of, uh, complacency and stagnation, right? Yeah. Then we'd be doing all right. Um, so you you yeah, know yeah. what's cool about that, Mark, is like what I've heard is from a lot of our donors and supporters is like they view the same way about our digital nest youth. You know, like they've I have people often ask me, like, man, Jacob, how you been so successful, you know, so quickly? And it's been the community, man. Like I asked for help and the community you know, rose up, you know, and they're still here with me, man. And they believe in these kids. Like I believe in them and my own like I believe in my own kids. Mm. I all these kids that walk through our doors have so much dang potential and the community sees it and they believe in it. And even for those that have never like physically seen our youth, like 
man, it's just incredible to see them still contributing in any way they can to, because they believe in these kids, you know, it's pretty cool. It's amazing. Um, so you, you started your first year with, uh, and I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the practical pieces. Cause I think a lot of people, I'm going to in the future point, a lot of people who are interested in starting things in their community back to this episode. And so I, I want to talk practical practical about things like money. Um, and I w I would feel less comfortable maybe if we were talking about, um, something that wasn't in a 990 that is very public. So, <laughs> um, so you started that first year with an operating budget somewhere in the ballpark of 400 grand, right? Exactly. But you yeah. had to, you had to get started, right? You got to figure out the infrastructure. You got to fill this place with equipment. Um, so that first year must've been a big one, mm -hmm. but now it's, are you, it's seven years, right? Um, it's, it's seven, like technically seven years, but we've had our doors open. It'll be five this November. Okay. So five years later, um, what does operating look like for the organization on the whole? And now we're multiple yeah. centers. Yeah. So we have two centers now. We opened the second one. So the first one opened November, 2014. The second one in Salinas opened in April, 2017. Mm. Um, so we, uh, the first, I think three years or, uh, our budget doubled every year. So we were just growing like really like fast and hiring good people. And, mm. you know, um, it's, it's kind of stabilized the last couple of years. So we're now at $1.7 million. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're a good size organization and I'm proud that we're one of the biggest employers in downtown Watsonville, which is, is, uh, like a. A lot of people forgot about downtown Watsonville. They just mm -hmm. abandoned it. So, um, so we're we're one of the biggest employers. So yeah, it's it, it's doubled in credit, like a lot, you know. And so it's one point seven for two centers, but a lot of what we're doing as well as well as like building infrastructure right now, um, to go to scale and, and open up more centers. So, man, we just we just completed our first audit last year. Mm. We, we just. Um, uh, this last week, we just instituted a time card, timesheet system, an online timesheet system. Like our, our employee handbook just finally got revised after that very first one. You know, and mm -hmm. we just got our financial policies done. So, like, man, we're we've had this incredible growth, but man, the infrastructure of like, how do we really ensure that this this organization's here for the long term? Like, that stuff just is getting done this past year. You yeah. know, and so. Um, so we're still learning, we're still growing and um, having to make investments in, in infrastructure. And unfortunately, people uh, are on our side. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that, you know, it's the programs have to work. Yeah. Um, but which, you know, is true. It's um, true, yeah. But man, there's a lot of stuff that needs to work. <laughs> yeah, I got some good you advice could, once from an yeah. ED. Because early on, my first, maybe like the first three months of Digital Nest, we, you know, we started getting the first three months having doors open and we got like a pretty good sized donation. And I asked the ED like, Hey, how do you like decide what, you know, where do you make investments in? Like, should I hire, you know, an accountant? Should I hire, you know, like what, where do you make investments? You know, she said, uh, your, uh, your, your investments should always first go to program because without good programs, you have nothing. Hmm. So, um, yeah, so we, we do a lot of investment in our program. But yeah, infrastructure, you can't forget infrastructure. Yeah. Well, and, and you're talking about building something that lasts and building something that you can scale. So, so I wonder if, uh, you're up for 
talking about scale a little bit, I think it's one of those, um, it's one of those bits of jargon that, um, you know, it's a word and it has a meaning. Um, but it also, uh, is one of those things that certainly in the space of K-12 education and workforce development and these things, I think, there are a lot of practitioners who think that they're supposed to understand scale as meaning one thing in, in particular or, or, you know, this sort of an, an idea for sometimes for funders who think, oh, everybody should be thinking about scale. Um, I wonder how you think about that word. What, what does that mean to you? And, and um, what's it look like to scale the nest? Yeah, it's, it's a word that you'll find in my original business plan, um, and that's because I did think that this idea was something that other communities could benefit from. You know, and I originally when I was talking about scale, I was talking about every community between San Jose and Los Angeles, and it's it's, it's California, like the Central Valley, the Central Coast is like mm-hmm. forgotten. It's usually people just driving for, literally from San Francisco or San Jose trying to get to LA. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so there's all these communities. So my, the talk about scale and being in these communities was there from kind of day one without really knowing what, how to do it or what's going to cost or what's what to scale, you know? So, um, so now we, um, you know, the digital is pretty complex. We have, you, you walk in, we, we manage a physical space. So we have co-working space where kids could just get access to the internet and tools and, um, and free food and, you know, hardware and, uh, safe space. But then we also offer education. And so there's training and, and programs and we have a partnership with the school district and the community college. So lots of different pieces of the model. And then we have a, a, a thing called business where you can hire digital nest youth to come do work for client, like for do work. And so we, we do web design, graphic design and videography for paid clients. And yeah. so, so we have all these different like outcome, parts of the of nest and so um we we were fortunate this past december to uh be accepted as a draper richards kaplan fellow mm-hmm. uh, bill draper is pretty iconic in silicon valley he was one of the first venture capitalists um and he has a foundation um called draper richards kaplan with two other partners to to work with social entrepreneurs um and the, and take their organizations to scale mm. Um, so like Kiva is one of theirs, vote.org, Braven, Landed. Uh, there's a bunch, um, Laboratoria, which is out in Peru. So there's a, uh, this is a global kind of nonprofit mm-hmm. or foundation. Um, so they're actually, we got, uh, we, we were accepted. Um, and so they are working with us this summer to um, really understand what's, what is the superpower of Digital Nest. Mm-hmm. Um what are those elements that we think could be scaled and what are models out there of like how to scale? Because there's the, the, the idea of scale could be um, everything from we're having direct control over the centers and we're opening them up and we're supervising the staff Mm -hmm. and we're doing all the development, fundraising and all that uh, to the other extreme of like open source where we're just putting our knowledge, our best practices out there and people could take them as they please. Right. And there's all these variations in between. People often talk about the franchise model or, you know, um, so we're trying to understand what, what, what's the best route Mm -hmm. um, that had the greatest impact and what, whatever those program, those programmatic elements are uh, central to 
the digital nest model and then what things can um, be adapted based on where the location is. Yeah. And, um, so, so we're in that discovery stage right now of what scale means uh, for digital nest. Yeah. So Jacob, that's actually a, a perfect spot for us to just, let's take a pause and we're going to come back to that thought. Great. Hey, it's me. Some housekeeping. I really appreciate you downloading the show. If you wouldn't mind going back to Google or Stitcher or Apple, wherever you downloaded and rate, review the show, it means a lot to me. Better yet, it helps me get more ears on this show and closer to a milestone for the show that would be to bring in some sponsors to help us continue to build new episodes, bring in new guests. Aim higher. Meantime, if you're really eager, uh, the other thing that would be huge help is facebook.com slash no such thing podcast. There is a listener survey pinned as one of the first posts on the page. If you could give me some feedback, I'd be so grateful. Thank you to many who have left some feedback already. I'm already using it to shape what comes in the year ahead. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so there's this spectrum. You described it well. And so for for folks who are maybe not familiar with the um, social sector or, or nonprofit space, um, there maybe we can put a an analogy like make a metaphor for them so there's on one end of the spectrum there's like the soul cycle model right where you know there's a thousand you know uh thousand gyms all over the country and and you're literally managing every one of those and the fidelity to a specific model from an hq right that's the mm-hmm. that's one end of the spectrum then there's like what um it's like <laughs> the other end is like a farmer's market yeah right it's like here's how you set up here's what's important about uh bringing people together and selling their wares and whatever but it can look lots of different ways in any place you do it and you know you can yeah. kind of hack that model and do different things and yeah. then uh somewhere in the middle uh what's in the middle oh, well i guess the yeah. franchise model is kind of yep. in the middle like uh, a fast food chain where, you know, locally controlled, uh, the branding though, and the branding and some of the, some, um, some of the curriculum is still coming down from HQ mm-hmm. and, and those individual franchises are using the brand and the curriculum or, or systems or infrastructure and paying an annual fee to HQ to, to do that. Yeah. You know? Maybe they're getting, then they're getting technical support and assistance. So it's kind of like you would think of it like a fast food joint, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you, what, can you describe in in your mind, uh, for me, one of the major tensions when I have ideas about or, or conversations about scale, um, there's a central tension between the idea of growth and the idea of, um, of locality you know, and, and the specificity of the geography and what resources come with that. Can you, can you talk about that tension in your mind? Is is it tension? Maybe it's not. Um, and another way to ask it is, is, you know, what things do you think are, um, things that just can't scale from a place like Watsonville? Um, and then what are the things that you just feel like are, 
frameworks or tenets or or values that that do more easily scale? Yeah, so I think um, I think there's some certain things that, depending on where we scale, I think are critical to exist. Um, one of the major things that we're, we're uh, we know as an essential element is there's got to be industry and jobs available in the community, right? Because the last thing we want to do in any of those models of scale, whether it's us controlling it or somebody else doing it, um, is training up a bunch of young brilliant people and those people leaving the community for other jobs. Yep. Right. So the, wherever communities that we scale to, there's gotta be industry there. There's gotta be good paying career track jobs. Right. Because again, like, yeah, if we work in a small town and all those young, brilliant minds uh, leave, then they're going to still suffer from what they've been suffering for years. And that's just like brain drain and this talent drain. Right. Mm-hmm. So we got to find communities that, that have industry. Um, there's also gotta be a community of, of like uh, support, like uh, there's got to be some way. There's got to be some way to sustain the centers in those communities. There's got to be a you know philanthropic community around there. So that's a little more challenging as, as you're looking at lower income communities. You know, um, but those are some of the criteria. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is uh, finding the the evangelist in those communities. You know, um, I was, uh, we were one of the reasons why we've been, we've been so successful here is that um, for years I was sitting on boards, giving back to the community, coaching Little League sports. Um, you know, uh, I was a co founder of the Watsonville Film Festival, so working within the arts. And so I was really heavily involved. And so mm-hmm. when it came time for me to kind of launch this thing, the community was like, yeah, we believe in Jacob. Let's, you know, he's, he's, it's time for us to give back to him, you know? So, um, so I think one of the biggest challenges is going to be uh, finding those people in those communities, you know, so. Because um, you can't, there, we can't, we can't scale nests with um, a thousand Jacobs. Right, exactly. But we, so, we kind of have to. We kind of have to. We got to find somebody on the ground that's like sees the vision and is out there hustling and making connections and, you know, talking to the to the corporations and the employers and finding the, the philanthropists and doing all that legwork, you know, it's important, you know, you just can't have a good idea and expect it just to take off yep. you have people on the ground doing the work. You know, this is, you know, the digital nest is very people centric. It's takes people, you know, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to work in communities that for generations have been neglected and the, the education system failed and, uh, is trying to recover and, uh, employers not really investing in their community. And, and so we're trying to overcome this like heavy, like uh, years and years of neglect. And the way you do that is you get carrying people with energy and innovation and you get them on the ground to do the work. You know, it's people heavy. Yeah. And that's expensive. People are expensive. For sure. So, so what are the what are the things in your mind that, um, as Nest scales, no matter what model you choose, are are need to remain local? And what are the things that you feel like um, don't? Yeah, I think definitely like understanding what local workforce needs are is at the local level, mm-hmm. right? So the you know we. Uh, 
a perfect example was our Salinas Center is mostly being funded by the, funded by the agricultural industry. Mm. You know, these are big agricultural companies um, that uh, are challenged with labor, and um, and it's funny because if if you're not from agriculture, like agriculture is big money, man. That's like I think it's probably the biggest economic driver of California. People mm. often forget that. You know, it's. Um, so there's big money in ag and they have huge challenges right now with workforce. Like they don't have enough workforce. So they're moving to technology. They're moving to automation. They're move, moving to innovation. But then again, they're hit with this ch- lack of workforce to, to manage this technology. Yep. And so, so here in, in Salinas, we're getting funded by the ag industry and doing a lot of ag tech stuff. Right. But that's not going to be the same um, when in comparison to, a, sm- a small town in the Midwest that's a like manufacturing community. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're not going to be talking about ag. We're not going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about other things. So I, uh, I think definitely what are the workforce needs and the skill sets needed from the, uh, from the young people is going to be at the local level. And so our curriculum, our program is going to have to adapt uh, for them, you know, for, for those communities. Uh, but I think what's, Central to what we do, that every every workforce, every, no matter what industry you're in, needs, and that's what people usually call soft skills. We're still trying to think of a better name for that, um, but it's the it's the skills that uh, a lot of the young people don't have, um, especially kids from low income communities, and that is this this um, a task management, this project management, this learning how to speak up in meetings and be heard. Uh, this walking into a room and shaking people's hands and looking people in the eyes. It's communicating professionally via email. It's um, understanding um, how to work on teams and collaborate. So mm-hmm. I think those, um, those skills, we're, we're, we have embedded amongst all of our programs, and I think that is going to be um, a frame that we, that we have going across all the different communities. And whichever community we we were in, yeah, yeah, the soft skills, uh, right? Uh, some people are refer-, refer to them as non-cognitive skills in the last couple of years, which baffles me. Um, yeah, go 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 tell go say that to an employer. They're gonna be like, "What?" You know? so we're, we're trying to think: is it essential skills, dynamic skills? Like, right. what is it? You know, there was a minute where they kind of were bundled into, and a lot of people still do kind of bundle them into what are called twenty-first century skills. Um, and you know, to to me, <laughs> to me, just a I'll, uh, sidebar uh, yeah. for a moment. To me, the the tragedy about that is actually the problem to me is not with being able to add taxonomy to those skills. It's that we've over taxonomized everything else, right? So like we started with this industrial system where we put English in a box and history and math and all these things. And it's like, you know, you, you don't, you it's not uh porous it shouldn't be porous in your mind um these are subjects and you learn them in a square room you know mm-hmm. and uh and then you go to another square room where you learn the other thing um these are actually uh evidence that skills sure uh if you have to add taxonomy to skills 
there's purpose to that in some context. But, um, but you know, I hope it raises a question for people having this conversation. Um, where does the role of taxonomy drop off and, and, uh, and where can it be useful to us and, and not useful to us, right? Because um, there's an awful lot of companies out there. Silicon Valley is a great example uh, where I talk to uh, employers all the time. And, and uh, as you know well, the, the first five skills that any of them will say to me about what, what makes a young person hireable uh, have nothing to do with technology. Uh, right. You know, we can, they, the, the trope is, you know, we can, we can teach tech. Uh, we can't teach uh, common sense. We can't teach friendly. We can't teach uh, somebody I want to work with. Um, yeah. And that's the truth. Right. So soft is an interesting, <laughs> an interesting way to put it. Well, you know, what's interesting about that too is like, so, and we see this, so we work with kids from high school to 25. Yep. And so we have a lot of college students come in to the digital nest, college graduates, because they can't find a job, right? They can't land a job. So the whole time, the entire life, they said, you know, do well in in middle school and you'll go into high school, do well in high school, you'll get accepted into college, go off to college, you're going to get a job. They come out of college and they can't land a job. You know, because they don't have like these these skills, right, mm-hmm. to get the jobs. You know, and it's it's funny because like we, we talk with a lot of employers and they say it's the same things to us, right? And so like, oh, we need we know we know it's not just like we could teach tech or we could teach any other like the skill. Like they need to have these other like soft skills and interviewing skills and all these different things, right? And so we do that, and then yet the kids still can't land a job. Yeah. And you go back to these employers and you say, wait a second, like I thought you said this is what you're looking for. You know, why can't, why aren't you hiring our kids? And they're like, oh, well, they didn't get through our, appli- our, our hiring process because they didn't have a college degree or they didn't have enough work experience or they didn't have. So I think, I think employers, one of the big things that we're trying to do here at the NAS is you know, like, we're doing great work with our young people and getting them trained up and building this workforce. But employers are still looking at the digital nest as a charity. Hmm. Right. And it's like, oh, we love digital nest. We want to support it. Here's five thousand dollars a year. Here's ten thousand. We just love our kids and we want to support them. But it's like, you know, I need the money because we're a nonprofit, but like I really need you to hire our kids, you know, and give these kids a shot. You know, they have the they have these skills that you're saying you need you're looking for. If you're gonna train the technical stuff, uh, and all you need is kids that are hardworking, showing up on time, can work as a team, have good communication skills, like here you are, here you go, but your hiring practices are still preventing you from hiring our kids, you know? And so it's, it's really, I think we're in a really interesting time of like hearing a lot of talk from employers and especially big tech saying, we want local, we want diversity. Um, we want, you know, college education is not important. We want these other things. And then we're doing it, but yet their hiring practices and their own internal biases are not, and have, are not, there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about that. Have you, um, have you read, there's a great article, uh, that I just discovered this week. If I could think of where it popped up for me, I would give the person credit. Um, as, as I'm sure you do, you get, you get stuff flying (laughs) through your social media all the time. Um, but there was a great article in the Atlantic monthly by a dude named Nick Hanauer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the headline is Better Schools Won't Fix America. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about this um, phenomenon in a, in a way very much overlapping with what you just said, where his his hypothesis is basically, and he's somebody who has been a philanthropist and somebody who, uh, philanthropist? Philanthropist. Um, yeah. Uh, that sounds like philanderer, um, <laughs> which is not what I meant. Um, so he's somebody who's seen it from the uh, angle of funder and somebody who's been working on these issues for a while. Anyway, his hypothesis is kind of that um, the story of fixing schools will fix the country um, is one that uh, is upside down and that, uh, that, you know, living, living wages and um, fixing industry is the place to start is essentially, he he talks Mm -hmm. about educationism as an ideology that has driven a lot of philanthropy for, decades and Mm -hmm. um it's actually keeping us from understanding the real problem in a lot of cases and and so anyway it's this it's this um it's a little bit chicken or egg that's not his his hypothesis is pretty clear he says the problem is actually industry and we need to raise the standard of living and and uh grow a middle class essentially um before you can start talking about ways that education can meet those challenges because in a lot of ways we've been meeting those challenges for, for, uh, decades. We have a lot of pretty good schools doing pretty good programs that, uh, and then like you just described, the phenomenon is we have all these young, talented young people and somehow your institutional filters happen to be screening out all of the, uh, kids from low-income neighborhoods of color um, around you. So where is the problem actually? Mm-hmm. Um, so t- I will I will leave that article in the show notes for this episode, and I, I hope uh, we can talk more about it. If you haven't read it yet, you should check it out because it's right right oh. in your uh, wheelhouse. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read it yet. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, man, like – I don't know, like, uh, it just blows me away, like, hearing about, and I see it all the time, right, doing this work that I do, it's the statistic around lack of high-skilled workforce, you know, and there's like, we have a, you know, a million, we have a million jobs, vacant jobs, you know, where you can't fill them, like, domestically, you know, and I'm like, man, but, like, Every day I see all these brilliant kids walk through my doors and I have two, two of them right now that are just like trying to land a job in tech and they're not getting nothing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a second, you guys are like saying there's all these vacant jobs and anybody who has a skill would land a job, but I can't get these kids a job, you know, and they don't, they didn't go to college. They, they went, you know, they went, both went to community college, got their AAs and then they came to Digital Nest and we've been working with them and then they got, we got them into a boot camp up in San Francisco and, and they can, the, you know, the promise of the boot camp, you know, and they'll help them land a job and they, but then they still can't find this, these jobs. You know, it's like Silicon Valley is screaming for diversity, diverting to screaming for local talent. And yet we, we can't get them in there, you know, and it's like, 
it's it's something on the employer side, something on the corporate side that's preventing this. And mm-hmm. and I think they're often pointing their finger down at K twelve and at college. That you know we're not the pipeline. There's no pipeline. You know we, we would hire them if we were there, but and then they they show up and they can't get in. You know it's uh, I think a lot of it. I think the one thing that we all know does work is social capital. Right. If your dad works at a big company, your dad will hook you up. If your sure. mom works at, is on a board or something, your mom will find a job for you. You know, so sure. I think there, there's a, there's also a, a lot around that that we need to do a better job of in education, and that is building social capital for our youth. Yeah, but how how full is the uh, the bus to Google and Facebook from Watsonville? Yeah, yeah, being empty. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> well, no, yeah, we have to go to Santa Cruz to catch the bus. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> So, um, I do, I, I want to respect your time. I know you have to, um, jump fairly soon. Um, one of the questions that I really wanted to ask you though, is, is right on this line. Um, I I just want to talk about cultural competency a little bit, right. And, and, um, I wonder if you've had experiences where you're bringing industry partners in to work with young people, um, in this context, where you've had you've made some progress actually helping them to reform um, and understand what it means to work with uh, n- not just uh, upper and middle class kids coming from Ivy League schools. Um, like, how does that conversation play out for you when you when you match up with industry like ag? And, um, I'm just curious if you've had interesting successes, interesting challenges that keep coming back up. Yeah, we're, we're really starting those conversations now, you know, um, you know, this idea of like, if you really understand, you know, people like how to be successful in the workplace, it's about showing up being your full self and like, like being comfortable in your environment to, be your full creative self, you know, like, um, and, and in order for people of color to show up in a workplace and be their full potential self, there has to be a respect and a appreciation for that person's culture. Right. And so how do employers, um, have a respect and appreciation for one's culture so that, I mean, it makes business sense for them. Like if, if an employee is going to come and feel competent, I uh, feel uh, comfortable and to be them for themselves, like they'll put, the, they'll put their, all their creative thought into this, into solving problems. Right. So mm-hmm. it makes sense for companies to, to embrace someone's culture, you know, so that they can feel comfortable and just let their creativity flow, you know, and, their innovation flow. So I think companies have a, a, a long way to go in that, you know, um, um, we, we, we do work with a lot of employers here that come to the nest and, um, want to volunteer or work with our youth and stuff. And, um, first, like, uh, them just showing up is a, a big, uh, step in, like, we acknowledge that, right? Like, you know, we, you showing up, you supporting us, you opening up our doors to our youth is, is huge. That's the first step, you know. Um, and then it's just like trying to get them to reflect on their own upbringing. They're, everybody, no matter who you are, can connect in some way with one of our youth and the challenges that they're overcoming. You know, it's whether there's a lot of people who grew up in small towns, you know, and 
and didn't have the resources of a big city. There's a lot of people who grew up in big cities that saw violence in their community or saw poverty and saw, uh, so they could, you know, they can relate in those regards, you know. So it's a matter of just having people really try to reflect on their own upbringing and and their own um, their own power and their own privilege and and acknowledging our youth for um, their power that they have, you know. So it's, it takes a lot, you know, I think we're, um, I think there's a lot of good conversation around with people these days around how to do that in corporate America. So I'm, I'm hopeful, you know? Yeah. And I think more, if I could get more of my kids in these jobs, if they could land these jobs, they can move up, move up into leadership positions within these companies, like those culture, that's the culture of those companies will change. Yeah. Social capital, social networks. It's, it's, that's where it's at. Yeah. You know? And for once, the kids that come through our doors, it, we're, you know, they, you know, when they often hear about their communities, it's like Watsonville, where's Watsonville? That's just a farm worker town. It's poor, mm. you know, it's not. But now people are saying Watsonville, Selena, it's like digital nest. Like, Oh, we know digital nest. Like you guys are awesome. We, mm-hmm. you know, we want to support you. And these kids have some social capital, man. They're walking mm-hmm. a little taller. That's so powerful. Um, I wonder just as a place for us to, to land this conversation, and I hope it's the first of, of many, mm-hmm. um, I want to come back to your community college experience. Um, do you feel like sometimes I feel like uh, we, we still have the narrative, we're sort of selling a narrative to young people about what it means to... Uh, grow up and learn skills that are going to be practical. Um, that's super linear, right? We, we keep telling the story that like, you're going to do middle school, high school, college mm-hmm. job. And then, um, and it feels like there are just so many models of how that works out there, but I don't, I actually have, I don't have a lot of success pairing, for example, young people with mentors, you know, we, we tell this whole story, we spin this mm-hmm. story about here's how the, the pipeline is going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you put young people with professionals and the professionals say, uh, well, I, I have kind of a different background. I had a really crooked path to where I got. Um, or, you know, I was actually a music theory major and, you know, now I'm a lead engineer at Google. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, I, what are your feelings about um, the progress we need to make about how we tell the story and show young people what it means to gain skills and grow over their whole life, um, as opposed to these years of K-12 or K-16. Yeah, I mean, we have some pretty strong partnerships with the community colleges in both the communities of Watsonville and Salinas, that they're, they're our partners in this. I, I We those are the youth that we really want. And, and I think for those youth, for them to hear that, they're often like, what? Like you, I'm in community college. Like you don't want to go work at the local universities. And we're like, no, we want to work with you because there's a few things about community college students. And you know, I was in their place at one point too, of like, these are, these are people who for whatever reason, K-12 failed them. Right. Maybe it, it wasn't for them, the environment, maybe they struggled 
um, just being they weren't giving them out resources that they needed to be successful. Maybe whatever for whatever reason, maybe they had other challenges at home. You know, the K twelve failed, so they didn't go off. But these are people who have chosen now. These are they're adults. They have chosen to stay in education. You know, they have chosen to continue to build their skills. Like just that very idea that here's somebody that no longer needs to be in school and they spent 12 years in school and it's failed them. So they have every reason to not trust it, but still making a choice to go to community college and build their skills and to believe in this system. Like, man, if you want to talk about the type of person you want to come work for you, it's community college kids, man. And, you know, then, then if you talk to them more and you find out then that they're, they have a job, and they're, you know, they're also working. They have younger siblings that they're taking care of at home. Some of these kids have families. You know, they have kids of their own now. And they're now, like, taking care of them. Like, and yet they're still, like, plowing away of trying to, like, one class, two classes, half-time, full-time students. Like, still plowing away in, in their education. Like, man, like, you want to talk about the type of people you want to come work for you. You want to talk about the talent. Yeah. You know, like, talk about multitaskers. Talk about multitasker, problem solvers, you know, grit, you know, hustle. You want to talk about like, co- you know, communi- like people who are good at communicating and making, figuring out how to make things work. Like, man, that there's the freaking talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, we still push kids through four years. Like we encourage people to go to four years for sure. Like, you know, it's, um, but we put a lot of value on kids that are going to community college. Jacob, I can't thank you enough for uh, for your time. Um, tell tell people where they can follow what's happening at Digital Nest and and follow your growth. Um, also, you know, tell funders and and people who are donating uh, where to find you. Yeah, you know, we need help. You know, we you know we're still not getting the uh, investments in that I think our kids deserve and we could have a lot more impact if we get a lot more help and, um, and I'm in, I'm, I work day and night. My team works day and night where you'll get nothing but effort from us. And so, and the kids will do it. The kids will rise up too. So digitalnest.org uh, is our website. You can find all of our stuff there and um, we're on social media like crazy. So um, just search up digital nest. You'll see a little green looking bug. That's us. And, um, and uh, reach out to me I'm on, you know, uh, LinkedIn, and you can email me at Jacob at digitalnest.org. I would love to talk with more folks. You mentioned earlier uh, being hopeful about uh, change for as it relates to that question of cultural competency and in industry, and and uh, anyway, that word hopeful is a good one to take us out on because um, I. I I'm very sincere when I say uh, my hope is driven uh, by colleagues, you know, and leadership in this space like you. Um, I mean that very sincerely. And and uh, man, I'm I'm glad you're out there doing the work. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing our work. Uh, we need more people to share our work, so I appreciate it. You got it. Digital DigitalNest.org. Everybody go check it out. And uh, Jacob, thank you so much. And I hope this is the first of many conversations on the show. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks for having me. 
For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, an Ithaca bomber, an engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. 